Welcome to the Buck and Strutton Podcast, the chronicles of two unlegendary public land hunters. Your home for hunting tactics, strategies, and stories. Welcome back to the Buck and Strutton Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Rector, along with the other host, Nick Bellis. And today we're going to go ahead and we're going to dive into talking about summer scouting for whitetail deer. So, Nick, you kind of want to give us a lead off on what we're going to get started out with? So, I think the first thing, like if you're going to break this down into a process of, you know, like you're just getting into it and we're going to go as if you're looking for a new piece of public to uh to hunt so a lot of questions that we get and that i've i've seen other people get asked is how many pieces of public land should i have scouted and kind of go in and see where possible places i can hunt i think that it also ultimately comes down to what like what you have to your availability and how much time you have on your hands i mean if you can have 10 to 15 different parcels scouted out that you can get in and hunt yeah take the time and go do that but for for most people you know you might not have all the time in the world to get out and scout more than just a couple to really understand the terrain and where the where the deer are moving through there so if if you have only the ability to go out and scout, you know, let's we'll just say four pieces of public, you can start that by doing a couple of different things with you know, getting on these these um mapping apps, you know, you can do some aerial scouting from that point of view. If you're not exactly sure where the closest piece of public land is available to you go to your conservation agent's office or the dnr or whatever you guys have in your state go there and ask them for some insight some topo maps uh, i know around here in southwest missouri they've they've provided that to us for even just you know conservation areas pointed us in some directions of where the deer are at and they, they can give you a lot of insight on hunting pressure as well so after you you've done these aerial like you you get these maps and you're doing your aerial scouting there's some things that you you want to look at when you're looking at the maps and i know i know for us dustin there's certain things terrain features that we look at and i think a lot of the times benches are a big thing yeah a natural bench on a leeward hillside is a great place to start i mean they're pretty easy to find you start at the top of a hill on a ridge line and you walk down and eventually if you find any kind of flatter shelf or whatever you're looking at immediately i mean 
around here at least because that's one of our main features that we have to work with considering the train and everything that we have you can go through on a bench and they're very easy to observe because they're usually no wider than 20 yards across you can usually pick out a deer trail pretty good on that yeah, or along yeah. the lines of where deer are moving through on them a lot of times you can go you know you can find what we call skinnies they're your smaller size rub on a small like oak sapling or cherry sapling whatever you're looking at there's just a ton of sign that you can find and they're they're a very easy terrain feature to work especially when you get into those given areas where you have benches that kind of come together on two ridge lines and there you have a funnel which leads on to like the next feature that we look for we like we like to look for saddles a lot yeah between two knobs or two big hills because in the belly or the bottom of a saddle in the gut of it a lot of times you know that's where we've seen a lot of sign where we've seen a lot of deer actually cross through as far as like does it may vary on whenever your target bucks or your older mature dominant bucks are working through there because from the trail cam pictures that we've had we've had majoritively nighttime image images of those big mature bucks going through those saddles you know at like 1 2 a.m in the morning in the dead of night versus throughout the day you know you can watch in the later morning time after they're done working those benches first thing they'll go up and cross the saddle and transfer over where they go to through the midday or go to bed or they keep going to whatever feeding that there is that they're headed to and you know just good features to look for i think yeah the the saddles a little backstory on, on a piece of public that we've scouted you know it, i mean it's thousands of acres so where we as we where we feel that we've put a dent in it we really haven't yeah you know but we, we were looking at the maps and we're looking at this piece of public and it's like oh yeah look at this saddle out here i mean that saddle itself is just it was like two miles in yeah down a holler up a hill down into another holler kind of thing and i'll be danged if, if we didn't get back there and we found we rode a bench all the way to the backside of this hill and on this bench i mean the amount of rubs and scrapes that were that were present at this time it, it was insane yeah you know and then you, you've literally you followed that rub line in that scrape line and it took you straight into that saddle and it, it was clear definitive that these deer are for sure moving down into the saddle and up onto another ridge just a few hundred yards off as to where they were betting yeah you know yeah which I think that kind of leads into of the aspect that, you know, using a bench, it's like you take, it's like you're taking a branch of a highway to an intersection. Yeah. It makes for a great pinch point to sit. When that's sitting, sitting the benches, you know, especially during the, uh, during the pre-rut and the rut. Mm-hmm. I feel like your chances of success, as long as you find deer sign in there, yeah. Like you know, don't sit a spot if there's no sign. Yeah. You know, don't don't do it. Just keep moving until you find that sign, because eventually you will. And when when you sit that spot during those times of the year, your chances of seeing deer 
bucks chasing does, they increase significantly. Yeah. You know, and that's through a lot of trial and error when we have hunted these pieces of public and getting off on spots where it's like, oh, well, there's, there's no sign, but, oh, this, this looks good. This looks really good. Yeah. No, no, you can't, you got to go with where the deer are at and not what you think. I think that's, that's one of the biggest things to look for, especially. Because, I mean, we've seen a couple pieces of parcels ourselves through scouting, and for a lot of guys, I mean, if you've hunted in the past out there, you'll get what I'm saying here, I think. You know, you look at one spot, and you can just swear up and down. It's like, it's, it's no different than fishing. You can look up at one cut on the side of a bank and be like, there's one sitting in there. I know there is. It's the same thing with hunting. It's like you look at this one piece or area, and then just scenarios start rolling through your mind. You're picturing yourself. You're 15, 17 feet up in a tree, 20 feet, whatever makes you happy, feels your fancy, and you can just see that buck or you can see whatever. It's just come, It's walking through there. you right. know. But if you don't have the sign or you don't have the proof to back up, what it is you're trying to get down i mean it's not it's not worth sitting at that no and i think kind of sticking with the uh, terrain features here we've also found a lot of success with you know if you have a private field button up to a public adjacent to yeah adjacent to like your, your you have a private field adjacent to public land if you walk that fence line on the public side, you know, not trespassing, a lot of times you'll be able to see yeah. where those deer are crossing over. Yeah. You know, whether the fence is bowed down or there's hair stuck into it. And, I mean, we I killed a doe last year sitting on the public side. She came out, you know, she's looking out in that field to see if there's any danger or what's going on. Well, she chose to walk down that field edge a little bit, and that's when it was all, that was over, yeah. you know. The, uh, the field edges, they they always, you know, I think that that kind of gets into a thing where people see all of these hunters hunting fields on the Outdoor Channel or these big wigs. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a big misconception. Yeah, because, I mean, to our area, you know, it's like our biggest cash crop around here is rock. Because that's what we're notorious here in Southwest Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas kind of range. But other, I mean, as far as like our actual crops go, the closest thing that we have to here, as far as cropland goes, you go 45 minutes up north, a little ways past Springfield, you get over into the Verona or Mountain Vernon area where you have all these soybean fields and turnips and everything else. But generally for us around here, down in the lower end, I mean, we have a bunch of alfalfa, yeah, which is still good. But that alfalfa, it's it's landlocked by private. Yeah, you know, it's not yeah. like that. And you don't find a lot of opportunities of alfalfa fields that are adjacent or within proximity to good areas on public land. No, no, you don't. And that's that's where I think we've had the most success hunting those field edges. Um. Especially for, like, if you're trying to hunt does. Yeah. I think that we've had a lot of success with that kind of with your morning. Yeah. Your morning hunts is, uh, we're just trying to get out here and 
put some meat in the freezer Cause real quick. Because, I mean, essentially all the does are trying to do is they walk those field edges. They use them as a corridor. Right. It's a like a natural – it's no different like a buck using a buck rub or like a rub line that he can visually see. You know, it's right. it's the trail that they follow. It's their trail markers. Right. And I think that if, if you're going to use that to your advantage, understanding how deer deer move is, is very – especially how they move with the terrain – is very very important that's why with the with this first step of aerial scouting you know you can get that good idea of what benches are there what saddles looking at water sources you know if you're someplace and there's not any water sources but you look on the map and there's a spring marked yeah if you're if you haven't had a lot of rain you probably better mark that and get out there and check it out and see what's going on yeah definitely they're gonna need to they're gonna need to access that yeah at some point in time um, well, you know, Dustin, this is kind of your, your specialty, the, uh, the bottleneck. So like kind of what I was hinting at earlier, I mean, when you have two different, like you have two different ridges, they come down together, they form a bottom, but somewhere in the middle on one ridge to the next, you're going to have benches along somewhere. And where this kind of veers up into your saddle and general range, you know, that technically you could call that a bottleneck, essentially a bottleneck all it is is when you have two parent ridges, they come together, and essentially, like, if you were to take a a beer bottle, whiskey bottle, whatever, and you were to lay it on its side, and you look at the neck of it, when you have a formation that comes in together like that with the lane and terrain, you know, this offers a great position and a pinch point where you can really get in and target big numbers of deer. I've sat in bottleneck areas before and one of my best morning hunts I ever had was is a rifle hunt I was sitting in a bottleneck and that morning I counted I want to say I think out of all of them I saw one spike and I couldn't tell what the other one was I want to say he's a fork or a six pointer and I saw altogether 24 deer in a matter of an hour and 15 minutes <laughs> all of them too far to shoot or didn't have a good shot opportunity because I mean we're in Southwest Missouri, right? Where we're pretty brushy country, and you're gonna get around here your maximum shot in some deep hardwoods. I mean it's probably gonna be a hundred yards. Yeah, that's pretty good average. But anything within that, and all these deer I was seeing were, you know, on the next side of the ridge over, and I'm sitting more towards the base of the neck where it really starts to bevel out because there's this huge flat down in front of me filled with you know your white oaks your post oaks anything that produce good soft mass every year versus your red oaks or black oaks which produce every other year but tons of feeding opportunity and I've seen I had seen deer move through that bottom before thinking that I'm going to catch one when they slip up onto my side of the ridge that I'm sitting on versus further across where they were but yeah bottlenecks great great area you can really get in you can sit you can observe especially when you have big ridges you know i mean if we're talking from the down in the bottoms all the way up to the top if you're talking anywhere between a two to three hundred foot elevation change yeah you can definitely have a lot of opportunity to see a lot of deer work those and move through there. I, you know, 
I think also when you're for people that do not know how to read topographical maps, get on get on YouTube and check that stuff out. You know, learn how to identify those terrain features because that will save you so much time. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, just as an example, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through on how I go about scouting a piece of public. I I have Onyx. I get on Onyx. I can see what is public, and I start looking. I start looking for areas that, big or small, you know, I don't overlook anything. And then I pay attention to the access point for me. Is it something I'm going to have to park off the side of the road for? Is there parking available for that? Or are there logging roads that go through it? Is it part of the National Forest? After I do that, it's like, okay, well, I can work with this place. I have a place that I can access it by. Then I start really narrowing in on these terrain features and looking for stuff that sticks out to me. I will then mark those terrain features. That way I know, okay, when I go there, this is the way I'm going to head. Another tip here. Make sure you download the offline version of that map. Yeah. Because if you get there and you don't have service, that's time wasted. You're going to have to go back and re-download it or go in there blind but not be able to mark anything. Yeah. So make sure you download the offline mode of that map. Look over, find those terrain features, you know, whether it's your, your saddles, your benches, your creeks and ditches. Get down there and just take a day break it up by a few days but get in there and see especially now or even earlier just for future reference right after season ends that's when the signs the most fresh is right after the season ends especially the rut sign and that's some of the most important sign out there Mm -hmm. but getting in there and seeing what's going on now will help you with possible early season success you know, you you'll see old rubs. I don't. I've. You might see an old scrape. You might, but a lot of times now, those scrapes are kind of covered up, and you're not gonna be able to find those as what you would have right when season ended. But getting in there with uh, the next thing with boots on the ground, you know, you get to your spot, you get out, you head to these terrain features. The moment that you start finding deer sign, whether it's droppings, you know, whether it's a bed, deer trails, rubs, browsing areas, I mean, if you do find a scrape, start marking that stuff down. You're going to go back through and you'll clean it up later on your uh, on your mapping tool or if you're using an actual topographical map, just start putting X's on it. But follow these follow these things and eventually you can really get a good idea Mm -hmm. of where they're betting yeah you can hone in on it especially like when you're looking in and targeting bucks unpopular opinion i think with a lot of guys because most guys just say you know bucks will blatantly rub a tree which i mean they're not wrong no they They will. will they'll go around when they i mean it's the rut they're thinking with the second head right and they go through and they're just they're rubbing their head oh they're so frustrated yeah frustrated yeah and i mean hormones are built high as hell testosterone is through the roof at this time of the year they go through that's a rub can mean multiple different things it's no different it's a it's like a facebook post for them it's their way of putting themselves out there and saying hey 
this is how I am right now. This is my state of mind, you know. This is where I am. This is where I am. am. Deer, other deer can read that. They pick up on that. But I think rubs are a key essential, you know, if you can really hone in and find a rub line in the summer. Now, bucks, I think, for the most part, I do think bucks tend to keep those same rub line patterns throughout different season after season. Right. You know, once a buck gets... And depending on the pressure. Yeah. If they're more pressured, you know, I mean, of course, they're going to be more... I mean, you could push them out. You yeah. You could push yeah. them. I think that they will forever... I think that they'll always return. Yeah. I think that they will come and they will you know especially if in those home ranges that they really like specifically given for reasons that there's good feeding opportunities there there's good bedding areas you know just there's good living structure there for them i do think that they will return but if there is high pressure they're going to be more intrigued to the idea that they're going to look elsewhere or they're going to hold tighter in those certain specific areas that's harder to get to them which i think is like you know I mean, on some of our public around here, we have, I mean, most people have CRP fields. What We have what we would call our version of a CRP field, which is it's pretty thick and it's pretty nasty. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, it gets, it gets overgrown because a lot of our national forests around here, I mean, not to diss on anyone or anything, but they're not the well, they're not the most well managed or well kept. No parcels. It's like that, you know. They've come in, they've logged it, and they just let it get they, out of control. They, they let it go for about ten to fifteen years. And they'll come through, and you know, every once in a while, like we've saw, we've seen it on a parcel that we hunted this past season. There was a prescribed burn right in one of those areas, and you know that's gives really good opportunity, especially when you do it a couple times over and over. You give opportunity to where a lot of the plant life there that isn't necessarily what you want, you know, your thorns, your whatever, pretty much essentially your junk species are. Typically those get taken away, but it leaves very fresh, fertile soil for a lot of your native grasses to come back and offer good foliage and feeding for your deer. And I think that's kind of a key essential thing to look for. Right. Too on public, you know, look for areas that are actually being managed at the time in correlation with the amount of pressure that those deer have on them. Right. The, uh, that's, you know, that's one of the big things too, is when, when you get boots on the ground in these, in these areas, pay attention to hunter sign. Yeah. You know, it's simply who else is out here. You know, if it's just a piece of national forest and you see a bunch of tire, tire treads in the ground, like someone's doing the same thing that you're doing. Like, you know, someone's out here as well. Yeah. Take that into consideration. You know, if you if you get into the woods and you start finding tree stands that look like they're pretty new, mm-hmm. I mean... There's someone out there... Someone's the, out there with, doing with, the same thing. With the same idea that you yeah. have in mind. And that's... A lot of times, too, though, is that we've stumbled upon tree stands, ladder stands and whatnot out there that, I mean, they've been there for 15 years now. Yeah. You know? A thing that I think is good to look for, especially when you're on, like, big tracks of public land or anything... Is old wooden stands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if there's an old wooden stand sitting up in a tree, you need to be sitting somewhere close by because even if it's just to just to harvest the deer in general, whether it be an old mature buck to a younger buck to a doe, 
whatever it is, the area is obviously good or it has some value to it. Right. Because if that's... Somebody knew. Someone at one point in time knew that this is where I need to be. Especially if they took the time to build a platform in a tree to get it out there. It had to have been worth something. It's not like you can just go up there, I'm going to take my stand down. This wasn't a good spot. They obviously put some thought and some money into it and they put a little work into it to be right. able to keep going back out there them old timers and sitting it yeah yeah the uh when you're when you're looking at at these beds as well i've i've come to find that if there's multiple beds you're probably dealing with a group of does mm-hmm. i mean granted you get in the summer season, right? And you have you your get, bachelor. You, you get your bachelor groups right. and whatever. I think it's, you know, they'll bed within fairly close proximity to each other, but then yet at the same time too, it's like if you're walking the leeward side of a hill. I mean, common knowledge to a deer hunter: if you find a bed that's kind of just out in the open, or you know along a train feature like a bench or somewhere alongside of a hill you can safely for the most most of the time you can assume that's likely a doe right doing that but when you have specific a, a buck especially an old mature buck will target and place himself strategically in specific areas as far as the bedding he'll always sit on the leeward side of a hill he will sit within an area that they call the thermal the thermal wind tunnel is what it's been referred to. That's when you have your thermals rising out of the bottom. Your wind is blowing over the top of the ridge. He's actually he's not bedding with the wind in his face. Granted, they will do that sometimes right. if they don't have a better option. They'll bed with the wind at their back because they can still smell, but yet they can see everything that's below them. Yeah. Or coming in from the front. They can see in here. Yeah. That, you know, you know, paying attention to to those beds too. Look at the size of it. Yeah. You know, look, look at look at the size of it. If you have a tape measure with you, I don't know off the top of my head what the uh, like the circumference. Right. Like if you even just the length of the bed, like yeah, you, if you measure that, you could possibly get a good idea of what it is. Now, granted, like you can some beds sometimes you can tell, sometimes you can't. You know. Beds can be a little deceiving as far as the size factor goes because you can have a smaller size deer mm-hmm. get in a bed and then he gets up like a dog, spins in a circle, and kind of rakes the leaves around and, you know, flusters the area out. Like if you look in a like a grass, uh, you know, like a sage broom grass field or a CRP field, right. if you get up high and you're looking at it from more of a aerial standpoint, you can see those beds are real wallered out. Either that's due to the fact you have, you know, like we had said, you can have a group of does or a old doe and her offspring, they'll bed together. Or, you know, a big buck, he'll go in there and he'll bed in one spot here and then in a couple minutes he'll get up and wallow himself around to wherever he feels most comfortable. Or to wind change, he'll correlate his bedding position as far as to where the wind direction is coming from, right. especially on flat ground. What well, that, that, uh paying attention to all those things too is just it's super important you know super 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 important yeah the during turkey season we were hiking through a bottom 
and I just kind of happened to look over and boom there it is you know it's like these deer are coming through here and they're browsing yeah I, on it? those uh, on the may apples may apples yeah. yeah they were coming through and browsing on those may apples and you could just tell because all the heads of those may apples have been picked right off yeah and I think that when you're when you're scouting just look at those finer details and that will that will put you on the right track mm-hmm. at least get you in the vicinity and then you can start calling audibles if you need to but i mean when we scouted one spot and this actually was lat during season we just got like man what's going on like we're not we're not seeing anything we think they pushed back in to the timber so let's go let's go back here and let's see what's going on so we went like 800 yards to a different spot and from where we started i mean if we would have just veered off right we would have found everything that we everything needed that to we know. needed to it was, know it was a primary scrape oh yeah along I mean, you know the edge of a bench that works that veers off into a bedding area further down where we were trying to target right and really pinch them in on where they're going to to bed but yet the best way to describe that spot i think is the logging road that comes down off the head of that ridge and veers off into the bottom, which eventually leads you down to the creek. Right. You know, there was bedding towards one end, one end of it. You come back through. If you veer off the logging road, like heading back up to the head of that ridge, you'll veer off on a bench where, I mean, beautiful, good-looking big oak timber, along with some soft mass, too, in there, you know, some good feeding or browse opportunities like your dogwoods or your black cherry anything that produces good soft persimmon trees in there too persimmons in there too which are killer in the early season yeah if you can can find what's producing yeah Yeah. they will they will definitely hit in on those but yeah finding those good soft mass areas the understory growth that they really key in and feed on you know in your earlier season but Sometimes the best thing to do is not overlook what's right next to the road. Because in a lot of cases, I mean, you listen to guys like Dan Infall, who's killed multiple large-sized bucks, mature bucks, within 150 yards of the road. You know, a roadway or a parking area. I mean, it's it's crazy. Well, that's What's interesting, you know, like, we all have that time of the year that the public is no longer it's not peaceful anymore you know yeah. rifle season turns around and these deer are just gonna they're on high go alert. everywhere like they're yeah. gonna go to places where they will not be disturbed where they won't be found yeah and that that's what's i always find that very interesting you know like we we set trail cameras out in may or june starting and we won't touch them for a month and then we'll, we'll get them back we'll see what's going on and through the hunting season we'll kind of keep them out there just to keep tabs on on bucks hopefully bucks you know but then we'll pick them back up at the end of the season yeah and it's funny watching now that we know about this spot how those bucks went from the uh, you know the, the timber along the field edge mm-hmm. to pushing back 800,000 yards back into the timber to a completely different spot for writing purposes yeah and just getting that fall the acorns are dropping you know like they're they don't need to leave yeah you know the uh, the other thing too is I, what i want to touch on is 
whenever you're going into the woods here, just kind of be smart about what you're touching, what you're wearing. Uh, it's it's the summer months, so it's, it's going to be hot. You're going to sweat. You're going to sweat. You're going to have some scent. Yeah. So make sure that you're maybe wearing a pair of rubber boots that that foot odor scent is kind of just trapped in there. Whereas if you're just wearing just your regular old hiking boots, that scent is going to leave. It's going to be able to perspirate and, right. you know, just... Uh, gloves are not a bad idea, no. especially if you're kind of touching things or, you know, you're touching a trail camera, a uh, pair of pair of rubber latex gloves, or even I, I, a lot of times I just wear my, my hunting, lightweight hunting gloves. Yeah. And that, that seems to do pretty well for me, but just, just be mindful on where you're stepping. If you, if you know where they're bedding there's no reason to go in and disturb it no. let it let it be that's you know i'm i'm a firm believer that if you have if you're hunting a, especially a big buck and you need to make that move you make that move and you get as close as what you need to get but at the end of the day those deer need to have a place that they can go to you need to give the you need to give them their distance until when the time is really right until when the that, time when the time counts and you can hunt them hard and you can yeah. hunt them hard make that move yeah the uh, also touching on just kind of some hunter sign if you see a lot of trash you know pick it up yeah P- pick it up take it out with you that somebody else was ignorant enough to to leave it behind but just keep that in mind too that there's people coming here whether they're coming to party or they're hunting or just screwing around i mean it's public land and right it's Everybody open to all go. of us but yet at the same time too though we need to take care of yeah, that yeah that's our that's our job that's our that's our job that's our natural resource i mean we're as public land owners that is that is our job yeah to protect these places that you know there's people out there that are trying to get their hands on every little bit of parcel yep. you know for some sort of development well the uh one of the Last things for this episode that I kind of want to go into is talking about tree stands. Because so, you know, kind of backtracking on this, we've done our aerial scouting, we've gotten boots on the ground, you found some sign, now you want to find a place to put your trail camera and hang a tree stand. That And check your state laws, just a disclaimer, because some states will not let you hang a tree stand until the opening day of season then you have to take it out yeah after season ends but either way if you're going in there scouting for the deer you probably better start thinking about looking for the tree stands yeah or tree stand trees excuse me but looking for trees that you can hunt out of yeah i think a good rule of thumb with that too is you know don't put a camera Especially if you're looking, if you're looking at a whole, like let's say, given terrain feature, a bench, uh, a bottleneck, where you have you know those two ridges that kind of come together, where it all just pours out into a big open bottom. I personally, and I mean, I know we see eye to eye on this. I don't like setting a camera up in a spot where I'm not going to be able to shoot a deer. No. You want to no. set it into an area where you have a broad range of view. You can tell where the deer are working through at. Right. 
I mean, that's the point of that camera. You're literally trying to learn everything about that situation through photos. In whatever tree you're visualizing, putting yourself into, keep your camera as close to that tree as possible. Yeah. If not, put it in the same tree. And I think a key to that, you know, just the way that a tree trunk is on given species, it's going to taper towards the top. Getting a little distance off the ground, they don't have to be two foot off the ground or three foot off the ground like regular. You know, you get a buddy out there, you bring one climbing stick, and you give yourself a little bit of elevation, just six or seven foot up off the ground, and maybe you throw a small tree limb or just a piece of bark or something. Kind of can it down. Wedge it and can it down to overview the area. I think it's a good way to... That'll also help you not get your... uh, not get them stolen yeah you know and that's for guys that do public land hunt you know i'd be curious to know send us a message of what trail cams you're using uh we've kind of been leaning towards you know we're big wild game um we like their we like their trail cameras a lot you can get a good you can get a good camera for a good good price for a good price yeah but of recent of recent i experienced experimented with tasco last year for thirty bucks, I mean, that's a pretty good camera. Like, you yeah, ask for much I mean, better it, for thirty bucks. They're good photos, and I will not be heartbroken if some jack off steals my damn camera. Now, granted, would I like to just drop, you know, a few hundred bucks and buy myself a handful of Exodus trail cameras? Yeah, all day long. Yeah, I would just love but, to do that. You know, that's that's the thing about life is you got to ball around a budget. Yeah, and I mean, eventually, hopefully so, but. Right now, you got to work with what you got, and I encourage I encourage everybody. Don't feel like you've got to prove something to somebody by having the best gear. I mean, work with what you got. You can get it done. Yeah, that's that's the truth. Your grandpa killed deer in a red flannel coat. I yeah. mean, you can kill him wearing Walmart camo and using yep. a Tasco yeah. trail camera. The uh, so once you once you find this spot, you need to be looking for some trees. And this is where it gets very interesting because when I first started hunting, I did not really have a lot of knowledge behind forestry and understanding that there are certain trees that work better for a hanging hunt style. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to you gotta work with what you got when you're out there. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say the fav- my favorite kind of tree to hunt out of is a post oak yeah that a post oak i feel like whenever i set my stand in that it just bites into it so good and there's no the bark the bark is not as flimsy on a post oak as it is a white oak right granted white oaks are very popular lots of guys like to sit out of them we've sat out of them yeah i mean next to none it's one of it's the best tree to have a tree stand in but i feel as a post oak you know the bark isn't a shaggy right at least towards the top it's pretty consistent all the way up. Granted, a post oak, you're going to have a lot more knobs yep. and a lot more small limbs coming off than you do a white oak that has a pretty clear, just straight trunk up to the top. It just kind of depends on your area and your soil condition, just the way that the tree grows and the amount of sunlight. There's a lot of variables and factors that come into play with your tree growth. But as far as putting a tree stand in a tree, post oak, yeah, I'll second that number one I mean, option, like- I think. White oak is like a hard. It's coming right in second. Yeah. Uh, now there, there. You know, that's that's. There's times, and we'll kind of get into this stuff in a later episode. But there are times that you do have to sit and 
your black oaks or something with a more hard but yet slick bark. Yeah, black oaks, walnuts, and not going to lie, when you start hanging them tree stands up in that, that can be a butt-puckering moment when you feel that tree stand slide a little bit. I would say as if, you know, a walnut, walnut you can get away with. I think a walnut is pretty similar. The bark's a little harder, but it's pretty comparable to hanging a stand in a white oak. It's a fairly hard, dense tree. You, The ridges in the bark itself are what helps you able to get a good bite out of your stand when hanging it. Now, I think when it comes to the hickories, the hickories are not near as rigid. No. Although they do have a similar texture look at a distance right. compared to a walnut. They're not as rigid. They're a little more slick. They're just a hair smoother. And I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. It's just like a black oak or a red oak. When you get those, what they call a ski track in a black oak or a red oak, it's those white streaks right. and the bark. I mean, you can see the bark and the way it works. You get to hang in a stand out of that unless you have a lot of good ridges to work with and get the teeth on your stand to really bite and hang that onto it. I mean, it's a, like you said, it's a butthole puckering moment sitting <laughs> in a stand and putting, you know, however big a guy you are, 180 pounds to 250, getting up in a stand and feeling yourself shudder and slide down a little bit. <laughs> Especially on a frosty morning when yeah. there's a little ice glaze on the tree. You know, yeah. It might only slide an inch, but I tell you what, that's enough to do it right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's enough to make you say, yeah. oh, I'm sitting on the ground this morning. <laughs> that, uh, so you, after you find these trees that are more suitable for hanging a stand out of, make sure you start kind of looking around and also, again, make sure it's okay that it's legal to you know maybe trim up some shooting lanes or get some brush out of the way but start paying attention to stuff like that and if need be they sell these reflective tacks and these things have done wonders for us uh you know they used to sell like the streamers that you can tie off yeah but I mean, every, still every, everyone can see that yeah everybody can see that like your your presence is is known because and not only a lot of these hunting mapping apps you you can track like you can track your your distance or trail to your yeah. stand yeah. which that's fine but having a visual marker of when you're going in in the dark with your headlamp these tacks they're reflective yeah so marking these tree that tree and then maybe a few others on your way in just let you the right path when when you are using those tacks in conjunction with your uh, your mapping device, you know, and like I said, I use Onyx, so I'm gonna swear up and down by Onyx. You uh, you're not gonna get lost going to your stand, and yeah. you'll be able to get there in the dark a lot easier. But we're kind of going off on a on a tangent there about mapping devices. We're gonna have an episode about that. So just kind of to reiterate and just go over what this episode is about. So if you are taking notes, you can kind of clear it up a little bit. Uh, you know, step one is to go through and do some aerial scouting, figure out what pieces of public are available to you, and doing that by means of contacting a conservation officer or using Onyx, Hunt Stand, Base Maps, any of those will get the job done. Uh, step two is having some boots on the ground and doing some 
foot scouting, going through and looking for that sign, leaving really no stone unturned when doing that and trying to hone in on where the deer are right now. And that could that can change whenever the fall comes. Yeah, I mean, of course, for generally for does, I think it's relatively it's it's pretty much the same. Just depends on the food sources throughout the year. The food sources does alter and change things. Plus two heat of the summer versus the cold months of the winter. I mean, that correlates with your food sources, but also in the fact of they're trying to regulate their body temperature right. at the same time. The movement. The, the movement will definitely, it will alter and change as well. You right. Know? As far as, like, those leeward hillsides, when you get in that thermal tunnel along those hillsides, you know, they'll consistently travel those throughout the year. Right. It's a safety mechanism for them. Right. They pick up scent, they can sense a predator, or they can sense a threat from large ranges, but... As far as to their summer patterns right now, they're going to be moving towards more down in those lower bottoms where the foliage is a lot more thicker because you can have a 10 to 20 degree difference on some days given right down on a bottom versus a ridge top. Yeah, no, and, we, and we've seen that as well. But step, step three being looking, uh, you know, looking for, for that sign and then in turn trying to figure out where you're going to hang your tree stand or whichever whatever way that you're hunting correlating it to the movement of the deer right. within that area right so when you start to do all three of these things at pieces of public and then you incorporate trail cameras you can really get a good idea of what that deer herd is doing how they're moving which way they're coming in which in turn can grant you success towards harvesting a whitetail during season but just focus on those things and like i said you should you should really start to see some uh some results yeah so i uh i think that's going to wrap us up for scouting summer whitetails uh, this is this is part one of this episode. We for sure are gonna have a part two, and then we're gonna start to slowly go in depth with some of these different things, going over the biology of a white-tailed deer, forestry, some different things in the upcoming episodes. So if you haven't already, guys, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us at Buck and Strutting Outdoors, and also please uh, please leave a rating in a written review if the podcasting platform allows it that would uh that would mean a lot to us stay safe out there in these crazy times folks and as always hunt relentlessly